All right. Welcome in to a Valentine's Day edition of the Sports Huddle on SEMO ESPN, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM. And you can always find us online. We're at SEMO ESPN. Dot com. Eric Sean and the Missouri Sports Hall of Famer Jess Bolin inviting you to join us here in the huddle. Here's our EBOMD huddle hotline number 573-334-1220. 573-334-1220. The huddle hotline is powered by EBOMD. Red Hawks baseball coach Andy Sawyers will join us around 9 40 this morning as we talk a little Red Hawk baseball. Jess, it is a 606-mile bus trip from Cape Girardeau to Dallas, Texas, where we are going, and the Red Hawks will take on Dallas Baptist University. Three-game series, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, I know how far it is. I've been there. So... It's not all that bad because you guys have stopped two or three times probably. Get out and get some snacks and realize you got a growing pull. So I went to the dentist <clears throat> yesterday after the show, got a couple of fillings. And so, you know, Ross Bennett obviously played his baseball, college baseball at Baylor. And he's heavily involved in Saxony Lutheran High School starting a football program. And so Ross told me uh, he had just taken a big trailer down to Texas to get a bunch of football equipment and drove it back. And I was telling him, well, MapQuest says it looks like it's going to be about eight and a half hours, eight hours, 45 minutes. He's like, hey, it's going to be longer than that because once you get south of Little Rock, there is major construction. He just drove the route. So we're going to hit some construction, it sounds like, around Little Rock. So it may be even longer than anticipated. Well, I think when I went to Dallas, it took me nine hours right around there, something like that. And... um well, we were just there two years ago. I don't remember. how. I just know it was a long, long trip. This is a Dallas Baptist team, and we'll talk it over with Coach Sawyers that won 47 baseball games last year. NCAA regionals every year. They have a big portion of their team back. They have moved from the Missouri Valley Conference to Conference USA, and they're the preseason favorites to win Conference USA. And in doing some prep work for the game and player bios and everything. They've got a freshman right-handed pitcher, Andy Pettit's son. Really? Yeah. Is he left-handed or wonder? He's a righty. Right-handed pitcher. So that ought to be interesting to see if uh, if he pitches or if Andy Pettit is uh, at the ball game. Apparently he's from Houston. How far is Houston from Dallas? Mm. <clears throat> I don't know for sure. I'd say three and a half hours. Yeah, I'd have to research that. I know San Antonio is 300 miles, I think, from Dallas. So I imagine Houston somewhere in that neighborhood. Any plans for uh, Valentine's Day? No, not really. Right. Um, Good to know. It is Valentine's Day today, not yesterday. If it's up to me, we'd have two in a row. 
Kind of like your birthday, two different days. Well, I do have birthday. Yeah, second and third of April. And folks, I have two birth certificates. One says it's the second. One says the third. So, I got that going for me. Although I never get presents on the second and third. That's an outrage. Never. <clears throat> I mean, you could give me $5 on second, $5 on the third, and be the only one in my life that's ever done that. So think about that one. So the Kansas City Royals yesterday, Jess, is, you know, obviously just on the heels of the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. They have announced their intentions. They are indeed building a new downtown ballpark just blocks away from T-Mobile Center and the Power and Light District. Um, It's going to be a $2 billion-plus ballpark project. And it's going to seat about 34,000, which is 3,000 fewer seats than at Kauffman Stadium. And they are hopeful that it's going to be ready by the 2028 season. So a new ballpark is coming to Kansas City. The Royals are getting a new place to play their games. I kind of like the old one. You know, the water out in left field and everything, pretty nice. I'm looking at some renderings. I don't know if they're going to have water out there you would think they would take that concept with them for the new ballpark right yeah i would because that's a unique um, thing about coffin stadium right yeah it is i uh, just like i i couldn't believe that the anheuser-busch flying eagle wasn't put in the new stadium that would have been really unique they had an eagle in lights that would actually fly the lights were in I, sequence to, to where it showed an eagle flying. You saw it before, I'm sure, haven't you? I've, I've seen video of it, yeah. Yeah. Old video. That was really something special. Pitchers and catchers reporting for the Cardinals. Yeah, really, spring training games are right around the corner. So it, it's here, folks. Baseball is here again. And... A former Cardinal, MLB Network, Jess, the television network, has announced that Adam Wainwright is joining MLB Network as an on-air analyst, and he is going to make his debut on Thursday, March 28th. So he will be one of the talking heads that you see on MLB Network, in addition to doing game analyst work on Fox and FS1 this summer. Don't be busy. Well, I don't have any doubts whatsoever. You do a great job. Do you? I mean, he's very intelligent. Got a lot of things to talk about in his life. Plus the game that's going on. So he'll do a good job. So good for for Adam Wainwright. The free agency pool in Major League Baseball, Jess. We're not seeing many signs, but we did see a signing, a much-needed signing for the San Francisco Giants. They get Jorge Soler 
on a three-year, $42 million contract. I think they finished 19th in Major League Baseball last year in home runs. And so they bring in Solaire, former World Series MVP, to stick in the middle of that batting order. So that is really the biggest name who was signed recently, Jorge Soler. I think that's a good move for the Giants. He's a 35-home run guy. Um, and I think the Giants sure needed a guy like him. Now, of course, he started his career from Cuba with the Cubs. Played three years with the Cubs. And as recently as 2019, when he played for the Royals, Jess, he led Major League Baseball with 48 home runs that year in 2019. Last year, with the Marlins, 36 home runs for Solaire. Yeah, he's a legitimate power hitter, no question about it. And a guy that you might want to pitch around a little bit. And so it's a good sign for San Francisco. You know, that's the kind of power... If you're a Cardinal fan, you'd like to see in the middle of that St. Louis lineup. Yeah. Guy that could crack, would just crack 36. And Solaire is 31 years. He's getting ready to turn 32 in 11 days. He'll turn 32. So he'll be signed through his 35-year-old season. He should have a couple years left. I don't know. Signed him how many years? Two? Three. Three years. World Series MVP when the Braves won it in 2021. He was a midseason acquisition by the Braves. That was his only time with Atlanta. He was a free agent after the season and then signed. That two-year contract with the Miami Marlins. I guess he had an opt-out, so he could become an unrestricted free agent. So that is the signing for the San Francisco Giants. And then, of course, we mentioned the other day that Adolis Garcia was signed by the Rangers, couple-year contract. Uh, They're trying to buy out a couple of his arbitration years. So you got two players from Cuba. Getting big dollar contracts. Well, Garcia's isn't as big as Solaire's, but pretty good talent. Cuba. Well, that Cardinal outfield that they traded away would be good in the Cardinal outfield right now. Rosarina and Garcia and Lane Thomas, all of them all stars. <laughs> Are you Super Bowled out? Most of the talk still about no, the Super No, not Bowl. really. Um, if it'd be somebody else, I might be, but being it's a Missouri team. So, what's kind of cool is my rooting for specific teams. The teams I rooted for didn't win very much. Now, the 85 Bears did. I grew up rooting for the Bears. And 
obviously the Cubs never won until 2016. The Rams did win and should have won a second Super Bowl. So that was cool the year that the St. Louis Rams won. But a lot of times teams that I've been rooting for have not been a winner. So it's kind of cool to root for the Chiefs because that's about all they do these days is win. I'm sure the NFL is getting a little tired of it. Maybe not the league office, but most of the teams. They're kind of getting like Dallas or the Yankees. Hated by half, half of the country. It's a good thing. If you're so impressive that half the country hates you, well, you're winning a lot. A lot more than you probably should. And for those, you know, the narrative for the St. Louis area, you know, everybody obviously was upset that Stan Kroenke stole the team and moved it to Los Angeles. So one narrative was, okay, the St. Louis area just doesn't, we're done with the NFL. We're not. Well, St. Louis's Super Bowl ratings tied for fourth nationally of all of the television markets. People still love the NFL in St. Louis. And I guess when the Battle Hawks come back. Are they? Yes. They've changed affiliation. It's not the XFL anymore. I think it's like the UFL. I don't know. But the Battle Hawks are coming back. And apparently the word on the street is that the Battle Hawks may host what is the equivalent to the Super Bowl in the NFL. They'll, they'll host the championship game. And one of the big reasons is because the Battle Hawks draw more than any other team in that league. So St. Louis still loves its football. Yeah, they support an NFL team. They did with the Rams when they were winning. I mean, check the Google it out, whatever. The years the Rams were actually competitive in the first probably six years, they weren't competitive until like year four, but they sold out every game up to that point. I think the tennis really fell off when it was pretty aware that that they were going to move. Forbes ever said. And then the stretch where they went 15 and 65. Yeah. That's going to hurt attendance. 15 and 65 is going to hurt attendance. It would me. So this... Three-game road trip is now over for the St. Louis Blues as they looked disinterested last night in a 4-1 to loss in Toronto. Just they had won two in a row and seven of eight going into that game against Toronto. And they had 15 shots on goal. That's it. For the game. 15. Outshot 32-15 to in the game against the Maple Leafs. 
<clears throat> yeah, I know. I watched the game. It was boring. And um, anytime you, you don't have any offense, three goals last night looked like, well, they got a fourth one, but that don't matter. Three goals and you don't feel like you have a chance. Three to one. It's pretty boring. Blues can look about as inept as any team I ever saw. Jordan Bennington was in goal last night, stopped 28 of 31 shots. And the lone goal for the Blues, Alexei Torpchenko, his ninth goal of the season. And that's coming off the uh, the seven-goal performance that they had against the Canadians on Sunday. So I think that uh, that's about as disappointing as the Blues have looked this year. Is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. Um, they are... Uh, Really on the bubble about making the playoffs. They may or may not. It just depends on how they finish up the year. But um, I think they will. I think they will make the playoffs. How far they'll go, I don't know. But, you know, main thing is get in the get in the room. So what you've got coming up, for the Blues, they are back home tomorrow night versus Edmonton. They start a four-game homestand here. Edmonton, Nashville, rematch with Toronto, and then New York comes to town. The, the, Blues the Islanders. In the playoffs by two points right, right now. Yeah. ESPN has put out Mark Schlebaugh, ESPN senior writer. Everybody's searching for content now that the uh, Super Bowl is over. Spring training is right around the corner. NBA, I don't know how many people are into it yet. Now, many more people, there'll be more eyeballs on NBA now that football is over. But they have released their college football way too early top 25 rankings. And Georgia comes in at number one. Ohio State checks in at number two. The Alabama Crimson Tide, without Nick Saban, nine. The old Mizzou Tigers, seven. Way too early preseason rankings, according to ESPN. The Missouri Tigers, ninth. After going 11-2, and 6-2 and two in the SEC. I like it. I do too. Top ten? How can you argue? Got a big portion of that team coming back. For Mizzou. So I don't see how you can't get excited about that. Uh, Lots of photos from down 
in Jupiter, Florida, as guys are working out. Sonny Gray had a had a bullpen session yesterday, and so there were plenty of pictures all over social media yesterday. Um, we broke it down on this show. I gave you all the numbers of how almost unhittable his sweeper is and the contact rate against his sweeper and the swing and miss against his sweeper. I've just got a feeling Sonny Gray is going to have a big year for the Cardinals. Oh, I think he will. And um, if they'd sign one more, Jordan Montgomery or Snell or anybody. I would take Montgomery over Snell. I would do. Snell's had two good years, both times he won the Cy Young. He just doesn't eat enough innings. 180 is the limit for him. <clears throat> had a great year led the league in walks but he led major league baseball in earned run average so i would love to see jordan montgomery story yesterday in the post dispatch about steven matz is he poised because he got things turned around after he was banished to the bullpen is he poised to be an impact starting pitcher for the Cardinals. Well, I think he could be. Really, he's got 95 to 98 mile an hour fastball. Uh, pretty good control. If he can stay away from injuries, that's a big thing with him. Can you stay on the field? If he does, I think he could be. He could actually be a number two on the cards, I think. Leave the old men, Michaelis and... Lynn to be three four. Have you ever just went and looked at Miles Michaelis's career arc since he signed with the Cardinals? He had the one really good year. He goes good year, bad year, yeah. good year, bad year. Because his first year with the Cardinals, twenty eighteen, he went eighteen and four with a two eighty three ERA, got a contract. The next year, his ERA went from 283 to 416. 2022, where he was an all-star, 329 ERA. And last year, it went from 329 to 478. Could we say that's definitely a pattern? He is due to have a good season this year just looking at his track record. Yeah. That's... um... A lot of players are that way. Give me the guy that is consistently good instead of the guy that's great one year. And I'm talking about Snell now. Great one year, and you don't know what's going to happen next year. Give me the guy that's consistent. And it's hard to get those guys, you know. Tough to tough to be a consistently good in anything. you got to really work. I'm very curious what the Cardinals' plans are for Zach Thompson and Matthew Liebertor. Are yeah. you stretching them out because at some point you're going to need help in that rotation? It just never fails. You've got a bunch of old guys. Well, you can always go from a starter to the bullpen in midseason. Like Matt's did. But it's not... It's not a very easy go from the bullpen to be 
It's a starter. It takes more time. Stretch it out. Different attitude. So the way I hear it is Thompson's being looked at as a starter. Maybe leave it toward in the bullpen. Both of them look good in the bullpen. Did a good job. Can they make that start, though? Libertor's velocity, <clears throat> at times, he can have mid-90s. And then the next start, he's pitching at 90, 91. I wonder if coming out of the bullpen where you're not pacing yourself as a starting pitcher. And it's... It's not all about velo. I'm not. It's it's. But for some guys, guys that can come out of the bullpen in short bursts, maybe leave like healthy. Yeah. People like that, they better bring the heat. Uh, that's how Todd Worrell became a relief pitcher. Todd Worrell was the starter in the Cardinals minor league system, but they noticed he'd start the game out at 95 to 100. Third or fourth inning, his fastball would top out 86 to 88. And it was consistent that he'd lose that much velocity. So they thought, well, short term, bring him in for an inning, and he could be the power pitcher. And it worked out perfectly. Some guys are just not geared to keep that strength, you know, through the fifth, sixth inning. And, you know, as coach, manager, or whatever, you've got to recognize that as early as you can and what a pitcher's abilities are. That's why I say managing is so much more than knowing how to make out a lineup or knowing when a good time to change a pitcher. Most fans know all that stuff. But a coach has got to figure a way to get the best out of 25 different players. Let them play to their strengths. That's the tough part. And to know the different personalities on the team. Everybody well, can't have your personality, Eric. Yeah. Thank some you. of us are gifted and some are not. You're gifted and I am not. But I was a better manager than you could ever be. Because you don't have enough patience. No. I'm a very patient guy. Yeah. No. <laughs> Ask my daughters. They'll say, no, you are not. So as we sit here today, it's February 14th. Ten days is the first spring training game for the Cardinals. And at Roger Dean, they share the facilities with the Miami Marlins. So you would guess... February 24th, 10 days, they will play the Marlins. They'll also play the Mets on the road. So it'll be split squad games 10 days from today. <clears throat> I don't know what the television situation is. I, I'm curious to see how many games are going to be televised, Cardinal games. Spring in spring training, yeah. yeah. Spring training games. The Bally's decides that they're going to do that. I don't know. Also, maybe you get the Major League Baseball package, uh, MLB TV. I got it last year free because I'm a T-Mobile subscriber with my iPhone. 
And so one of the perks was you get a free membership to MLB TV so I could watch whatever I wanted to watch. I could watch every Major League Baseball game. You talk about T-Mobile. I've got a land phone now in my house. You can call it. Got a landline? Yeah. Now, you used to have a landline for a long time, and then you dropped it, right? Yeah, of course, with iPhones. Very few people probably got a a landline phone in the house. Not as many as used to. But um, I got one. My daughters wanted me to have one because half the time, maybe not quite half the time, I don't even know where my phone's at, my iPhone. This way I can call it. And locate my phone. But I'm liable to lay that phone down in the bathroom or bedroom or in the garage. Or no matter where I'm at, if I got that iPhone, I'll lay it down somewhere. Best thing to do is stick it in your pocket. But it seems like you're sticking a brick in your pocket with those big phones. That's why I like the flip phone better. But they didn't last. Now, if you have a flip phone. You they've got modern flip phones now. Yeah, I think they do. I, they yeah. do. High profile phones yeah. too. So mm. if you if you desire to go back to the flip phone. No, I won't. I'll stay with iPhone. I got used to it now and I've got sense enough to text and email and stuff like that, so I don't ever send anybody any emails, do you? Email, yeah. You use email a lot? Oh yeah. Especially Why? especially with work. Oh. Absolutely. It's like, okay, uh, Chandler Collins, who works in strategic communications at CMO, he is the baseball contact. So he's going to, you know, he's the baseball guy. Uh, just emailed me the player bios. I, I like to get them in Word document form so I can do a little editing in there. And I've got one page bio for every player uh simo still sends out emails for all of the stories that they put on their uh web website simoredhawks.com if you're on their list every time they put out a story like okay they've got a story and the game notes for the games coming up tomorrow at eastern illinois for men and women's basketball when tennis is getting ready to play, and after they play, and they do the write-ups, they also send out emails to people that are on their email list. So they are heavily involved in emailing. And just physically talking to people is not not as uh, big as it used to be, So, uh, especially at work here at the radio station. Emails are flying, flying all over the place. That's how people communicate. At least our company, for the most part, is emails. Well, I I use text messages. All that's what I use in uh, in a voice text. Voice texting is good. It's fast, but you better proofread it. That's all I can say. You can send one that you don't like after it's already sent. So, but I think it's Sandy to voice text. You're the talk, want to talk me how to do that. The voice texting, you got to be careful 
before you press send. Yes. Do a little proofreading because yeah. it's not always 100% uh, accurate as to what you believe that you and said. And the meaning of your message can be totally altered by a wrong word here or there. Yeah. And people that use a little slang like I do, you better really say it clearly. Yeah, you're a slang guy. Yeah. Yeah. Want to uh, talk some Red Hawk baseball? Well, I'm going to let you talk more than me, but, I mean, I'll answer any question anybody's got for me and maybe butt in once in a while, but I'm going to rest this voice a little bit. All right. Red Hawks baseball coach Andy Sawyers going to join us on the other side as the Red Hawks get set to head to Big D to open their season. Last time they went to Dallas Baptist two years ago, they won the series two out of three. Andy Sawyer. It's a sports huddle on SEMO ESPN, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM. And you can always find us online worldwide at SEMOESPN.com. Eric Sean and the Missouri Sports Hall of Famer Jess Bolin. And now we're going to talk some Red Hawks Baseball, the head coach, Andy Sawyers, joins us on the EBOMD Huddle Hotline. How are things this morning, Coach? Good, Eric. How are you guys? Fantastic. You, uh, I, Nobody looks forward to a nine-hour bus trip, but everybody does look forward to getting the season started, and it is literally two days away. That's right. I think, uh, you know, all the... All the excitement and the butterflies and the jitters that if you don't feel, you probably should get out because it doesn't mean enough to you anymore. We're all going through that right now. So I didn't sleep very good last night because I was going through every every scenario possible in the world. So we're talking about I'm not sleeping last night because I'm thinking about if we have to go four-man out or a five-man infield. So you know we're thinking too much <laughs> if we're thinking about that at 2 a.m. All right, Dallas Baptist will be your opening opponent, and you're familiar with the surroundings there because we were just there two years ago, and that was a big, big weekend for your program. You win two out of the three games. This is a team now that is in the Conference USA. They're the preseason favorites. They won 47 games last year, and they've got a lot of guys back, right? They do. They're, uh, they had a historic offense a year ago. I mean, they hit 130-plus home runs and had 130-plus stolen bases. And if I'm not mistaken, both of those would be school records at SEMO. At so you start talking about the production they had from a power and from an athleticism standpoint. Like, it was historic. I mean, they had a great, great lineup. They've got, you know, some significant dudes back. Um, they're they're, they lost a lot of their pitching is, is probably the reason why they're not ranked coming off a 47-win season a year ago. So so they only have, I think, five pitchers back that threw an inning for them a, a year ago. So they did lose a lot of their pitching. They do have some pretty they, – they do have at least one guy of, of real significance. Ryan Johnson, their Friday starter, was a Team USA guy and is projected to be a first-rounder, and he'll, he'll go mid to upper 90s possible i've heard touching some triple digits early in the spring so we're going to have a real arm going on friday um so like they're 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 a real team like this is an sec caliber opponent so we're we're excited about the challenge and you know like like we always tell the team it's not the best team that wins or the most talented team it's the team who plays the best so we came there two years ago 
they were a ranked opponent, and we played really good fundamental baseball and managed to walk out of there with two wins. So um, we're excited about the challenge and fun venue, as you know, awesome stadium, great venue, beautiful surroundings. Um, it's a really cool place to play, so I'm excited for our boys to go down there and get after it. I think it was the only game you lost in that series, but the thing I remember the most, other than winning two out of three, was that freaking home run Lincoln Andrews hit over their video <laughs> board in right center field? Man, that was that was that might have been four hundred fifty feet. It was. And that that's kind of what they're built on, right? They're built on the home run and I think playing them opening weekend I think can be an advantage for us if you get colder weather. I mean, I know we're going to Texas, but it still gets cold in Dallas in February. Um if you can get them with the wind blowing in, they're so geared around the home run that they're really not going to adjust what they do if the ball's not going to fly in the air. And so we were able to kind of skill it up a little bit for a couple games and, and, and beat them twice. But uh, I would not want to play there in May, I guarantee you that, because it is a small ballpark and the wind normally blows out. So um, getting them in February hopefully is an advantage for us. Interesting what the weather forecast says. Friday, we're supposed to hit 70. Saturday, 52, and then 60 degrees on Sunday. So we go 70s, 50s, 60s in the three days we're there. Yeah, and it's supposed to be cold on Saturday. Saturday's supposed to be a north wind and, you know, feels like temperature. Probably we'd show up at the ballpark on, on Saturday morning. It'll probably feel like, you know, 38, 39. So it's certainly for a group of Texans, it's going to be cooler than they would like to play in for sure. Yeah, I'm. I will be bringing my coat. Smart move. Yeah, you got to bring the coat. Okay. Um, how surprised were you? Uh, first of all, that you get Josh Cameron back, one of the truly elite baseball players in the OVC, uh, and that he was not drafted. How big of a surprise was that for you? You know, I mean, honestly, really, really surprised. We were told with two months left in our season, spend his scholarship. We're, we're drafting him. And I'm not going to give you the name of the club on the air, but like I was told that he was being drafted. I was told not to count on him being back. And so we kind of operated accordingly and just some bad fortune for Josh, maybe good fortune for SEMO. Um, later in the year when some of those like cross checkers and scouting directors were in attendance to, you know, finished putting the last eyeballs on guys and checked the box. He just, he, he did not play well the last month of the season. He was great for most of it, but, but scuffled down the stretch. And so kind of in that last, that last little bit of the process, he didn't play great down the stretch and as luck would have it, didn't get selected. And so tough luck for him. He certainly is a pro level player in terms of his tools and talent, but you know, maybe a good thing for the Red Hawks that we get him back. So, um, Certainly grateful that he is back because he like so we've scrimmaged, we've scrimmaged, we've had nine scrimmages in January, early February, and none of those were like nine inning jobs. You know, we were spreading out our pitching, and you have to pitch both sides of it during during an inner squad. But he had six homers and nine scrimmages. So the innings, it's like we played the innings at bats. It's like we played uh, six games, and he has six home runs in six games, and that's in February where it's cold. You know, so like he obviously. Um, started February at a, at a pretty good clip. So uh, we're excited to have him back. And, you know, he's an all-conference player a year ago. I think he's a conference player of the year candidate. And hopefully, you know, he can he can stay out the whole year for us this time. SEMO baseball coach Andy Sawyers, our guest this morning on the Sports Huddle. One big uh, – we've got several holes to fill 
one of the bigger holes, first base. Lincoln Andrews has manned that position for the last several years, and uh, Lincoln will not be back. What uh, what do you got going on at first base? You know, probably there's three guys that are going to see time over there. Uh, two right-hand hitters and a left-hand hitter. One, Gavin Baldwin. Gavin's more of a local product from Nashville, Illinois. He's a strong physical right-hand hitter from Kaskaskia Community College. He had a great fall, really showed well. Has not played as well this spring. It's kind of taken him a little bit longer to get to get on time and 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 that stuff. But but certainly had a great fall. Um, another right hand hitter, Cole Wareheim. Cole was on our roster the last two years, redshirted, and then got minimal about a year ago. I think it's taken us a while to kind of get him to the right spot. Sometimes uh, kids grow and change as they stretch out and gain weight. We recruited Cole as a third baseman, and uh, has really gained. Done a great job in the weight room. He's out of the leg kick. He's kind of turned into a power hitter. <laughs> which is not kind of what we thought he was and recruited him. But Cole will see time in left and first. Um, and then we have a left-hand hitter that I think you're going to be really excited about. He's a tall, rangy, lanky, really good athlete. He could start games opening weekend in left and at first base named Bryce Cannon. Bryce is from uh, Northern California, Santa Rosa Junior College. Um, really athletic first baseman throws good he's a mid to upper 80s maybe touch a 90 we're thinking about putting him on the mound a little bit um a good arm action good athlete and he has swung it out really well well in january probably he's had as many barrels as anybody but josh cameron um in in january february so uh he those two guys both cannon and wareheim give us some flexibility because they could both play first they can play left or right and so if we need to be left-handed or right-handed based on the day's matchups those guys give us some flexibility so as a cheesy broadcaster already trying to plan ahead here is cannon a guy that could hit the ball out of the park because uh that would be fantastic a home run call a cannon shot yes yes he is he when he hits it it goes he is a big six foot three 190 pound like yes when he hits it it'll go over the fence so you didn't have uh, a whole lot of depth last year at catcher because of the injury to Ty Staus and filling in admirably was Nolan Ackerman. Uh, I know you did recruit the catching position. Yeah, so uh, Nolan Ackerman's back, and I think all three of our catchers are, are got some different strengths. So Nolan Ackerman is an elite block and receive guy. He's a great game manager probably our best on-field leader and communicator. Um, I thought he was a better offensive player than his numbers would have stated last year because he really wore down. We had to catch him every single game last year when Ty Stouse went down, and so I thought his offense suffered with that. And you've got Ty Stouse. He's returned from back surgery. He's really swinging the bat good, like better than he ever has. We're excited about him offensively. Ty's our best boat to have a really plus offensive player at that position, like left-hand hitter with some power. And then Shea McGann, Shea's new to our program. Shea started out at University of Missouri uh, for Coach Beasler. He kicked back to Johnson County Community College where he was a junior college All-American, helped lead them to the Junior College World Series. He can really, really throw. Like, it is a pro-level throw tool. And so we've got three guys that are probably all different in their composition and makeup. And um, it, is my, it is my goal to get them all three starts behind the, 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 the dish early in the season. You might see three catchers catch opening weekend, which is a rarity. Um, that, that is but, right. Uh, we're going to try to get them all opportunities, get them all behind the plate, and um, you know how it works. The coach can think one thing, but the players end up writing the lineup. So we're going to try to get them all opportunities, and you know they'll kind of figure out who needs to, who the starter needs to be. Probably Brian Conference, but 
they all three have talent. They're all three probably good at some different things, different strengths. And, uh, yeah, that's the three guys we have behind the plate. So it's been a long time since a SEMO baseball lineup did not have the name Javon Mason in it. But Mason uh, has finished up his baseball eligibility. Uh, how does how does that shake out in left field for you? You know, left field, it's got a couple different options. I do feel good about our depth, and I say that, and we've got a couple guys banged up right now. But, uh, you know, our infield uh, – so the, the infield situation affects the outfield situation in left field. So I'll kind of go start on the dirt. But uh, we've got a freshman named Brooks Kettering who projects to be our, our opening day second baseman. I think he's as talented as a freshman as we've had since uh, since Trevor Azell. He's a left-hand hitter who can really run. He hit 400 in the fall. Like, he can steal a base. He can hit a double. He can hit a homer. He hit for the cycle his first scrimmage at Seno. I mean, that's a pretty hard thing to do. <laughs> that's pretty as a good. Freshman. Yeah, yeah, pretty stinking good. So uh, that's Brooks Kettering. Um, you've got Peyton Leeper shortstop, and this is where he kind of the banged-up thing. Leeper did not practice yesterday. He's got a little bit of a banged-up shoulder. Nothing serious, but just we're hoping he's ready to play opening day. But, you know, okay, so who plays short and who plays third? You know, we can play Leeper at short. We can play Ben Palmer at third. If we do that, then that means Chance Resetich, who was our basically everyday second baseman a year ago, that Chance can go to the outfield and play left field admirably. Um, if we want to be more offensive on the dirt, we could play chance on the dirt. But in left field, you're going to see Bryce Cannon, who we already mentioned, who's a left-hand hitter. You're going to see Cole Wareheim get some opportunities. You might see Chance Resetich out there in left field. And also we have a we have a, a one-transfer portal guy, a left-hand hitter actually from Dallas Baptist named Ian Riley. Uh, Ian uh, was on, at DBU a year ago. Ian is a left-hand hitter. He is a great at bat guy, like great at taking pitches, like super good on base percentage. He's a threat to steal when he's on base. He's just like an old veteran, savvy, like really, really good at bat guy in a, in a left-hand hitting package. So you could see a lot of different guys in the left field as we, you know, as we kind of, you know, work through that and based on matchups. And like I said, we have a couple guys who are a little bit dinged up right now, but um, you might see a lot of different guys play left field this year. How about center? I think probably the, 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 the first crack at center this year is going to go to a young man named Michael Mugan. He's a transfer uh, from he's from Monterey Peninsula Junior College in Northern California right there at uh, Pell Beach there in Monterey, California. Um, he's an interesting package. He's a smaller in stature guy. He's short, but he's got really good power. He's in second on our team in home runs, fall and spring behind Josh Cameron. Um, he's got surprising juice for a small package guy. Like, like he can hit. He's got a great top hand. He's got power. He can run. Um, I'm excited about him. And he has that little bit of the little man's complex. And that, like, he's probably been told his whole life he's not tall enough. And so he kind of walks around with a chip on his shoulder and a little strut, a little banny rooster, a little bit like Noah Nisnik. You know? <laughs> yeah. A little bit of Noah Nisnik to him. Um, I mean, does he strut like his, Noah does? Noah was a strutter. He's got a little bit of a. You know, Noah could play it up as the pitcher going to the mound. It's kind of hard to strut your way to center field. That might take too long to get out there. <laughs> but uh, he's got a little bit of that swagger um, to him. So I would say, you know, Michael Mugan, probably his first crack at center field. Um, and then uh, right field, obviously, probably anchored down by Josh Cameron. So it, it all comes down to the bottom line. is, I mean, you, you've got to be a competent offense, but it uh, it all comes down to pitching uh, what does the pitching staff look like, and uh, who do you anticipate starting the games this weekend? 
you know, it's a little bit different, you know. We went to back-to-back regionals in 21 and 22, and really, outside of a dominant Friday starter, we kind of did it with an elite bullpen. And uh, this year, believe it or not, I feel I feel like there's five guys that could start. We're trying to figure out the bullpen piece right now. Um, so what we're going to go with opening weekend, and this is opening weekend. This isn't after that, but we're going to go opening day. We're going Colin Wilma, fifth-year starter. Um, he is finally, he's been healthy now for about a year. And I think we're starting to see him get back to who he was. He got healthy last year, but was not performing the way he had in the past. And he's been healthy now and, and logged innings. Um, and he's a fifth year senior guy. It's a great choice for opening day in a big environment, matching up against a potential first rounder. He's not going to be too nervous or scared you know he's been in those environments before you know he's pitched in regional stuff like that so we're going to go the old man on opening day in the two hole on saturday we're going to be coming in brian strange um brian strange is a very talented right-hander right-hander we signed him from mineral area college just right up the road um you know it's probably low low 90s but he's touched you know he's touches some 94s and 95 so he does have some some power behind the fastball but he's going to pitch 90 92 Really good fastball. Knows how to pitch with the fastball, fastball command. Um, Brian's father, Pat Strange, was a major leaguer, so he's got good genetics and good bloodlines, and he's got, you know, he's got field to pitch. He he's, knows how to get it done. Um, you know, his challenge is he's got a, a, a kind of a more of a horizontal breaking ball that's been hard on right-handers. We need him to make that pitch go down a little bit, create a little more depth so he can punch out a left-hand hitter with it as well. But uh, he's been very good for us. He's going to go in the two-hole. And then on Sunday, we're going to go with Hayden Dow. Hayden Dow was an all-conference starter for us a year ago. Hayden Dow was throwing the ball better than he's ever thrown it. Like, it's fantastic. And not from a velocity standpoint. It's pretty much what it was a year ago. But he's really staying behind the ball. The ball's spinning great. It's adding deception to the off-speed pitches because the the window that he's throwing everything out of is identical. And, like, it's like he's throwing a firm, you know, maybe not a below fastball, but it's behind it and it's spinning great. And then he's got this short changeup with great depth right behind it. Like, he has been fantastic. Statistically, he has by far been our best pitcher in January and February. There's two other guys that are going to work out of the bullpen opening weekend that are starter profile guys that uh, have the talent to start. But, you know, we don't get to start five guys opening weekend. We're going to start with them in the bullpen. First of those is a right-hander named Sam Heyman. Sam Heyman from the same junior college as, as former, you know, Red Hawk great Joey Lucchese. Um, Sam... Uh, is a low 90s sinker guy. He's going to pitch, a, you know, 89-92, a lot of 90-91-92s. Heavy sink. Heavy sink with a really nice, you could call it a cutter or short slider, but a really nice feel for the cutter short slider pitch. Um, throws it for a strike a ton. He has been very hard, very hard on right-handed hitters. Like, he is a he is a hard matchup for righties to handle. Um he will probably be in the rotation, I'm guessing, before too long. But he has been very, very good. Um, and he's a good-looking kid, six foot two, good frame, good physique. Like he profiles as a starting pitcher. You're going to like to watch him throw. And then we've got a, a left-hander um, named Alex Hayes. Alex Hayes uh, from Madison, Wisconsin, Madison College. Um, pitched his junior college team to the Junior College World Series as their their ace. He threw Game One of the JUCO World Series last year. You know, um, when he's right, he's 88 to 90 with a really good breaking ball. He actually led our team in strikeouts in January, even though he's not a 90 and above guy. His breaking ball probably plays better than anybody else's breaking ball on the team, which is different, right? Because most, you think of lefties, you think of more of the changeup, you know, fastball change, like Noah Nisnik or Dylan Doss. 
Alex Hayes is a fastball breaker type of lefty, and it, it, he gets the swings and misses from both left-handers and right-handers. It is a pitch with depth. I mean, it's a stinking good pitch. He did not get to pitch this ball. He had a little bit of a shoulder deal. They rode him pretty hard to get to the to the JUCO World Series. We shut him down just for his health and his best interest. We did not pitch this ball. He's working his way back up in terms of arm strength and arm health. Um, he's healthy. He was more mid eighties. You know, he was like you know eighty five, eighty six, and eighty sevens in there. He's still working back to be that eighty eight to ninety guy. When he gets back to that, man, he's going to be really hard. And he has starter stuff. Um, so those five guys, um, I think, are the all starter caliber guys. Um, and um, you know you're going to see a lot of innings from those five dudes this spring. So when I was getting my bios together for everybody, the Canadian Cowboy, his picture on his bio, Hayden Dow, coach, the Raleigh Fingers mustache was gone. We need an update on that. I have not seen Hayden Dow. Obviously, I'll see him tomorrow. Uh, Is the mustache gone permanently here? It's gone. It's gone. Um, You know, I really – I – discouraged that decision. Um, you know, back in the day, John Wooden could uh, sit Bill Walton because he didn't like Bill Walton's hair. Today is a different era in college athletics, and the head coach doesn't have as much control. I threatened Hayden Dow to, to cut him if he didn't grow the mustache back, but he knew I was kidding. Um, so, uh, yeah, he doesn't have the mustache this year, uh, but, you know, that's a personal choice, but uh, he was pretty good with that with that giant mustache a year ago. But uh, that's his lie. All, they say all good things come to an end. So the mustache is gone. So you had a couple of freshmen that were trending in the direction of being really good Division One pitchers, Gavin Johnston and Eddie White. What can you tell me about those guys? And, and who would close this weekend if you got in a spot where you could close it out? You know, Gavin Johnson probably would, would go the ninth inning. Um, and that's probably just some older guys haven't really been as sharp as we'd like them to be. But, you know, Gavin Johnson last year was kind of like going hard, but really just kind of throwing like a 91-mile-an-hour sinker up there, but threw a lot of strikes and pounded the fastball and didn't walk you. Um, you know, did that stuff. He's really developed the breaking ball. Like it's, his development and his progression has been nice. He and Coach Kenny have done a really nice job. He really has added the ability to pitch off the slider and pitch slider first. Um, and so that's been fun to watch. Um, I actually think it's more of a hard curve ball, but I don't think they call it a slider, but it's like more of a downer, downer, hard breaking ball. But uh, um, he's done a, a really nice job with, with getting better as a pitcher. Um, he was kind of trending. Kyle Miller was not super healthy down the stretch. He was kind of limping to the finish line last year from a health standpoint. Gavin, Gavin had pretty much kind of become the de facto closer for us a year ago, and I would say it's probably in the same spot this year. Eddie White has also shown improved breaking ball. They put a kind of a new pitch grip on. You know, it's like funny how like things change, and now the rage is like the bullet slider or the gyro pitch. Is if you really dive into pitch shape and pitch creation at the major league level, and um, you know, uh, we've had like last year, Eddie was almost exclusively fastball changeup, and we struggled helping him to spin the baseball. So we kind of tried that. A gyro breaking ball, or they call it the bullet slider. It's a pitch that doesn't have backspin or front spin, has complete rifle bullet spin. So it, it goes straight, but just goes straight down due to the, the, the spinning, like, like a bullet going on the barrel of a gun. Um, actually, it's been a fairly easy pitch for him to pick up, and he's shown a lot of progress with it. And so I think he's got a better range, you know, because he's added a third pitch with the fastball change or combo. 
So those those two guys have both both made good progress with their off speed pitches this offseason. So the preseason uh, poll came out. Uh, is it kind of what you thought it might be? Little Rock pick first, Moorhead State pick second. You picked third in the preseason poll voted on by the coaches and communication directors. Yeah, I thought that's where exactly where it'd be. You know, uh, Little Rock returns literally everybody off their team, and they finished second a year ago. I think that's a smart choice. And then Moorhead's a returning chance. I think that makes sense. Um, you know, if we wanted to pick first, we should have finished off the last two weeks of the season and won the league, and we would have been voted first as the defending champs. But, uh, you know, those preseason polls are something for media directors to talk about and post on social media, but uh, we care a lot more about that last one than the first one. So I actually think that's very accurate. That's where people deserve to be. Um, and uh, now it's our job to win some games. What were your thoughts when you saw that uh, Steve Beezer has resurfaced at Jacksonville State? I know when he was at SEMO, Coach Beezer respected Jim Case probably more than any other coach in the OVC. Obviously, they're not in our conference anymore, but uh, I think it's kind of cool that he took over for, for Jim Case, who was a fabulous coach. Yeah, we're certainly happy for Coach Beezer from the land on his feet. Um, we're actually um... – working on scheduling some games at Jacksonville State for, for 25. So That was my um, next question. When are we going to play the Gamecocks? Yeah, yeah. So you might see that on the schedule in 25. We'll sneak peek at that. All right, what do you think your schedule this year? Um, you know, you've got uh, teams like Toledo coming in. I don't know much about St. Thomas. Uh, you got a home-and-home, home, it looks like, with uh, Murray State. Um, it's at Marshall, you know, you, you got Evansville on the schedule. Been a long time since Simo's played Western Kentucky. Uh, what are your thoughts on the schedule? I think it's a good schedule. I think it's a lot of schools that are like us. You know, if you look at, I mean, certainly with where, you know, we're playing a couple, you know, with, with where, you know, Western Kentucky, I mean, DBU was picked to win that league, but Western Kentucky, that's a that's a good team and a good conference. And Marshall's opened up a fifteen million dollar stadium, really beautiful venue right there on the river. So our two non conference series, you know, with, with DBU and Marshall, those are both really nice venues, fun places to go play. I'm excited about that. And then you know we've got two two challenging places to go, but two cool places as well. And then the three series at home with St. Thomas, um, you know, and then you know we got Mac action, some action, and then uh, we've got. Uh, uh, Western Kentucky at home, you know, I think that's, that's a good schedule. I'd like to think that even if we, even if we don't play good early out of the shoot, you know, DBU is a really good team. I'd like to think we have those two weekends in a row at home and get back our feet underneath us. And I'd like to think that we'll be have been tested by the time that conference starts and then have our feet underneath us and, and try to go prepared to, to win a conference championship. Andy Sawyers, Red Hawks baseball coach, our guest, the instant replay equipment has been installed at Capahaw field. Uh, we will have replay now in the Ohio Valley Conference. How's it going to work, Coach? Is it a challenge system late in the game? Will umpires take a look at it? If you don't challenge, uh, bring us up to speed on how replay is going to work. You know, it's pretty much the same system that you're seeing in the major leagues, right? So each head coach has two challenges, and then the umpires themselves can review it if they feel like they need to. So, like, if you make your two challenges and are out of challenges, if there's a play that they don't feel good about or if they want to go look at it, they certainly, the crew chief has that discretion. They can do that, you know, if they want to. But, uh, yeah, so you start the game with, with two challenges, each head coach. And then, um, you know, as 
if you challenge and that you win the challenge, then you do not lose it. If, if your challenge is not upheld, then you then you lose it. But certainly the umpires can go to that at any point if they need to. And there is a physical pitch clock now at Capitol Hall Park. Uh, my research said that it's going to be 20 seconds, whether there are runners on or not, and that the hitter has to be ready with five seconds left. Is that the rule? No, that's not the rule. So the rule is the exact same rule we had a year ago. Okay. So the same rules we had a year ago, it is a 20-second pitch clock for the pitcher. The batter has to be in the box and alert at 10 seconds. So we had those rules last year. The only thing that's different this year, and this is a conference-mandated thing, like the NCAA puts the rule in, except for the conference to, to like implement and enforce, right? So all of college baseball had the 20 and 10 rule a year ago, um, and the conferences – at their discretion, you know, so last year, the third base umpire had a stopwatch in his hand and he was the one who were like, no time too long, adding a ball or adding a strike to the count as the penalty or, or who was too, too late, not getting, not getting ready in time. Right. So now the only difference is, is the third base umpire is going to be controlling the clock, which is visible as opposed to a stopwatch in his hand. So he's going to have a little handheld unit and, you know, he's going to be the one that resets it and that stuff. So really the only difference is now everybody in the park can now see what a year ago just the third base umpire saw. So it's the exact same rules as we had a year ago. All right. I think we covered it. Jess, you uh, got anything for the coach? <clears throat> no. I, coach, I don't have much of a voice. I've just been listening, uh, but I want to wish you good luck and hope you go down there and get a sweep. I'll be listening. I hope you feel better. I, I didn't know you weren't feeling good. It's the voice. I think he feels all right. <laughs> voice okay. A little squeaky. Yeah, I got a head cold. I'm sorry. So, Coach, uh, yeah. 7 a.m. tomorrow, we'll uh, head down to Dallas, Texas, and get this thing underway. I know uh, I know you and your coaching staff got to be fired up. This is a fun time of year. It is. It is. And we've got a fun group. I think you're going to enjoy getting to know some of the new guys. We've got some big personalities, and I think you're going to join. All right. It'll be all start at 3 o'clock on Friday at Dallas Baptist. Coach, uh, thanks so much for the time. Uh, nice preview. Great job. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. All right. There he is Andy Sawyers, Red Hawks baseball coach. And what is it? Hope springs eternal this time of year. He sounded pretty optimistic at some of the some of the pieces that the uh, Red Hawks are going to have, but having Josh Cameron back right in the middle of that lineup, that's a big piece yeah, to bring he's back. Great. He's really a, a great college hitter. You know, I don't know how good he'll be when he go, goes up the ladder, but in college, he's really good hitter. All right. Uh, in uh, say hello to the uh, lovely and talented uh, Dawn Sean this Valentine's Day. I know she is tuned in. We're going to go have a nice Valentine's lunch, and in addition to Valentine's Day. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie. Hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is. It's hump day. Woo-hoo! All right, hump day. That means Wednesday wisdom, and we hope new material. Well, it's not. I don't have new material, but I just want to say happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there. And uh, if you got someone you care about, let them know. And all you macho guys out there, 
it doesn't mean you're weak to say I love you. Because uh, most people like to hear that. Say hi to my girls, too, in Texas and Columbia and boys here in Cape Neva. Um, I'll give you a couple of little tidbits you probably didn't know. But one thing, here's the one I'm going to read for. It's okay to love, it's okay to lose your pride over someone you love. But don't lose someone you love over your pride. I didn't know who wrote that, but my daughter Kim is the one that sent it to me. Here's a a little uh, stuff you probably need to know in Wisdom Wisdom. There's only two parts of the body that never stops growing. Your ears and and your your nose. nose. I thought my nose was getting bigger. (laughs) And this is a really good one. There are now snuggery services since this Valentine's Day. Snuggery services available where you can hire someone to come to your house and snuggle with you for $60 an hour. <laughs> so I'm going to get two hours of that. So I want to be snuggled. Fantastic. All right, we're done for the week, Jess, and uh, we'll be back on this show on Tuesday once we get back from uh, Dallas Texas, so uh, we get a little bit of an extended break here. Uh, we'll reconvene on uh, on Tuesday if that okay. works for you. Yeah, you guys have a safe trip. All right, stay tuned. Greeny is coming up next. Enjoy your Valentine's Day, everybody. Mm-hmm.